welcome to Eastlake. We're so glad that you survived the fourth and are here with us today. Uh, if this is your first time checking us out, uh, we are in part two of a series on money. And I know what you're thinking if you're a first time guest, you're like, crud, dude, we'd roll the dice, come check out a church. Now they're talking about money the very first week. Yeah, sorry about that, but it is an idea of trust issues because we know uh, the idea behind a church, you know, somebody in a position like mine talking about a topic like this in a setting like this, uh, it can obviously draw some immediate resistance. And so that's why we titled this idea of trust issues. Anytime money is talked about within the church, there's definitely uh, some of that. Last week we said that for as much as Jesus talked about money, and he talked about it a lot, by the way. Um, he did it in such a unique way. And, and I know that we don't typically have the best association with church and money in, the, in terms of like today's context or whatever, but I, I, would, I, would, I would hope that you would be able to go back and read for yourself what Jesus had to say about money without the jaded perspective that we have negative typically about church and money because I think what he had to say was really significant. And to be fair, to, if you go back and look, to be fair, Jesus constantly, even though he constantly talked about money, he never asked people for it. He never at the end of it goes, this seems like a prime time to take an offering. Let's do this thing. Let's pass a bucket around. Let's show everybody what we're doing in Africa in terms of missions and whatever. Uh, nothing like that took place. It was always... I wanna talk about the seriousness of money and you got a real problem on your hands and that was it. And the only time that he ever asked people for money was one time when somebody asked him about like, you know, should we pay taxes or not? And he's like, I don't even have a coin on me. Does anybody have a coin? And by all accounts and purposes, we feel like he probably gave the coin back, right? So Jesus wanted something for the people in his audience that day. He wanted something for them, not from them. And so we're trying to capture that as well. So I, I would hope that uh, you'd trust me enough uh, to be able to believe me when I say that uh, this is, I, I want something for you. I don't necessarily uh, want something from you. And I know uh, that people are coming from all different kinds of like uh, pathways in terms of even trusting me or knowing who I am. And so um, I wanna give permission right away. If, you, if you're somebody who's been coming to Eastlake for a long time and this feels like home and I feel like your pastor or whatever, and you trust me a lot, then what we're gonna be talking about today is your money, okay? Now, if you kind of trust me, but like, it's like one foot in, one foot out. Like I'm, I'm coming here, but only until you say something that kind of pisses me off and gets me going. If I haven't done it yet, you're not listening good enough. That's all that is. <laughs> uh, but at some point I will. And, uh, and that's, that's fine. If that's the spot that you're in, then I would say, then take this as we're just talking about money in general. Okay. Now, if you don't know me from Adam and, uh, and we have no relationship whatsoever and you don't trust me at all, uh, then let's imagine that I'm talking about my own personal finances and my own money, because it's really hard to disagree with somebody on their personal subjective experience. Okay. So we're going to talk about money, but like guards down, it's going to be great. We're going to love it. It'll be awesome. All right. Uh, Here's what I think we all know the best, and this has kind of been the premise behind this series, and it's only one week in, but the premise behind it has been, has been this. The people who do the money, whole money thing the best are not necessarily the people who have the most of it, right? And oftentimes it's not the case. The people who do the money thing the best, even though they may not have the most, are those who understand a couple of key principles. The first one we talked about last week, which is simply this, that money is a means. Or another way of saying it is money is best used as a Tool And the, the challenge last week was to, okay, um, you, you, I want you to go through life and I want to go through life this week going money is a tool, money is a tool, money is a resource. It's not the end all. It's not the end goal of anything. It's not evil. It's very useful, in fact. In fact, it's often more useful than the things we end up spending our money 
on, right? Money opens up doors of opportunity that you otherwise wouldn't have. I, I think money is a good thing. It just, the problem is when we make it too much of a good thing. And so money is a great means. This is why, by the way, last week we looked at the uh, parable of the shrewd manager, Luke chapter 16. The, the, the story goes that there was this guy who put his, this uh, servant in charge of all of his stuff. And then there's some shady stuff that goes on. He calls into account and says, listen, you're fired, but I need you to get all the things together. And his last kind of few moments on the job, he cuts deals with some of the debtors who owe his master something thereby securing a good relationship. His, his, his motivation was, if I can do this, then when I don't have a job, perhaps somebody will still invite me in. He had the option. He could have kind of cut deals and then hoarded the money, but he recognized money is a resource. It's a tool. It's something to be used to leverage. It's something that can be used to gain friends or to, to buy influence or to do something. And at the end of the story, the big twist and the big turn is the manager's not even mad at the, at the guy. He actually commends him for his shrewd nature of dealing with money. Good for you for figuring out that money is a tool. He could have hoarded it and he chose not to. Instead, he leveraged it for something different. And that's the point that I think Jesus is trying to get to. Aside from the morals of losing your job and all the kind of shady things going on, whether he had the right to be able to cut those kind of deals, the big point of the whole thing was look at this guy who saw money as a tool and as a resource and leveraged it in that way. But it doesn't end there. Money is a means to an end. Money is a means to an end. We know that it's a great means. It's not a great end. Money is, in terms of hoarding it, it's like, am I gonna give my life uh, for some sort of a bottom line financial figure? My dad right now is uh, 63 years old. And he is in that season where he's getting like statements from uh, Edward Jones and statements from Social Security. And it's like, if you do it at this age, you'll get this. And if you go a little bit longer, you'll get this. And, and he's in this dance. And so we spent the entire like Thursday, Friday uh, over at his house because it's 4th of July and families in town and all that kind of stuff. And all I'm hearing about is this. Like, oh, I don't know what I'm gonna do with all these dollars. And I'm like, oh, it sounds like a real tough problem, dad. Let's figure this thing out, right? Um, so, uh, but I, he's in this spot. He's got a friend who works at Boeing too. And he's... Uh, he's been there for 20-something years, and his dad passed away at 59, and he's 57. He's like, do I keep working, or what's the quality of life? I mean, I don't want to run out of money before I run out of life, but like, I also don't want to just like get a bunch of stuff, and then when I die, like, it, it goes to your oldest son, which I, doesn't sound like a horrible thing, right? But, <laughs> but I have three sisters I have to split it with. I'd rather have my dad, you know what I mean? So like, it's, it's really difficult. We're in this like financial, it's like a, a big pickle. Like to you, when you go through this and in that season of life, he's really dealing with and like a big time reality is money is a means and it's, but it's not a great end. So he's figuring this out. Now we're all in agreement up to this point. Um, you don't have to be religious to be like, that all makes sense. And some financial planners talk to you about that. And, and, uh, um, but Jesus then goes a step further in this. And we discovered this last week that money is a means, but it's not a great end. Uh, and it can be, you need to use money as a means to an end that goes beyond yourself. This idea of uh, doing something that goes beyond you. In fact, the entire, the entire uh, like landscape of Jesus' teaching for people is simply this. People will know if you, that you are one of my disciples by the way that you love one another in the same way that I have loved you that you consistently and, and, and uh, all, every single time put other people ahead of your own, uh, ahead of your own personal preferences, personal priorities or whatever, it, that becomes a priority over you and it shows up in the landscape of money. Now, here's the funny thing about last week is I skipped over a few verses and you guys didn't call me on the carpet for it. I went through like 13 verses and then I jumped ahead and finished the story and not one single comment card was like, you can't just jump around in scripture and pick and choose what you want, Brent, right? So I felt like uh, it deserved its own kind of sort of week 
because there's just a ton of thoughts packed into it. And so now we're gonna come back and look at Luke chapter 16 again, but not the shrewd manager portion. So he's gone from this like narrative parable teaching, right? And parables are always once upon a time, and so it never really happened, but he's trying to communicate a point. He tells this long story and then he pulls out of that story. And what we're gonna see here is him trying to kind of like synthesize the story for the people. Let me put it in practical terms for you. This is what this means. Sometimes he won't explain his parables. There'll be times he'll tell, tell a parable and everybody's nodding. And then disciples later are all, what is that? What was he talking about? And we're like, I don't know. But we, you know, don't act like you don't know because you don't wanna be that guy. Um, but in this, in this scenario, he spells it out so clearly for us what it is. So Luke chapter 16, verse 13, here's what it says. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted. And that's the key word there, devotion, devoted, allegiance, ultimate allegiance. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Money. Now, it's interesting because anytime I talk about this verse, I oftentimes try and like eliminate those last two words from this verse and put like a little fill in the blank and, and like play like this guessing game. What do you think God says? You cannot serve both God and, and we would say like the devil, right? Or something like something significant. In this way, Jesus flips that on it and he goes, no, 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 no. The chief competitor for the devotion of your heart, the chief competitor for what you are gonna align yourself with and get ultimate allegiance for is not some sort of being or some sort of this or whatever. It's not sex, drug, sex, drugs, rock and roll. It's money. The chief competitor for your heart is your money. And we would say in response, no, money is a thing that I have. It's not something that masters me. And then Jesus' response would be, is it though? Is it though? It's something that I have that I don't want to ever have it master me. I get it. I know. But like, is it though? Because and this is the big takeaway. Here's our big idea, thesis statement, whatever you want to call. If you are taking notes, this is what you would want to write down. Everyone, everyone, rich, poor, drives a Lexus, drives a Honda, drives a Hyundai, doesn't matter. Everyone is at risk of making money their ultimate pursuit or their ultimate concern. The reason Jesus tells this story is because at the end, he says, listen, at the end of the day, you got to choose one or the other. It's either God or in the text, it's or mammon, which basically means stuff. Money is included in that for sure, but just wealth stuff, something you can point to and be like, this is defined success for me. Everyone is at risk of making money their ultimate pursuit or their ultimate concern. Little in life communicates value as much as money. That's literally the purpose of currency, an agreed upon medium for transacting value. And at some point in your life, a car was more valuable to you than your current money or more, more likely your future, current and future money situation. So you made your way down to Columbia Park when all the balloons are up and you signed your half of your life away, or not your life, but half of your annual salary away. Because in that moment, getting to point A, from point A to point B was a significant value for you and you wanted to do it with really nice car, right? And really nice wheels. When you're at the boat races in just a couple of weeks, there's gonna be somebody trying to sell you a $3 Costco bottle of water. Yes, the exact same bottle that can be purchased for a mere quarter on the way out of Costco. However, it's not 100 degrees in Costco, is it? And so you're down at the park, it's 100 degrees, you forgot to pack a water bottle, $3 for a water bottle starts to feel like a real bargain, or at least your wife tells you that's a bargain, or your kids, or whatever. It's a question of value. Money probably factored into how and what you currently do for work, and it should. 
it should. It absolutely should. You shouldn't work for free. You should work for a company that values you enough to pay you what you're due worth. I want you to feel valued in your vocation, what you do. And money as a tool communicates value. That's all the positive things about money, okay? That we can all, I think, agree on this. And yet, even though it's, it can be in that category of good, it can also bleed into the category of not as good. Some of us have committed to jobs that we're not crazy about, but hey, the money's good. In fact, that's the line that we oftentimes use. Hey, the money's good. You've gotten in and out of marriages because hey, the money's good. You know what I mean? Or you, not you. Let's, not, let's pull you out of it. People that are in your neighborhood are people that you work with. And you're like, can you believe this? Anyways. Some people push off family vacations because it pains us to spend that kind of money when we have a perfectly fine house right here in Richland, right? So we're gonna do a little staycation, right? Jesus's comment is in reworked terms is essentially this. This is Brent's version of the take on what Jesus says about masters and money, okay? Do you have money or does your money have you? Do you have money or does your money have you? And our response is typically this. Maybe, here we go. It can't have me because I don't have enough of it to have me. <laughs> You'd be like, this is great. I can go home now. I can stop taking notes. I don't have enough of it to have me. So therefore, I'm good. Not to belittle your comment, but half the world would not be impressed by our money anxiety. You know what I mean? Like, well, I don't really have a lot, right? Okay, so let's put this in perspective for just a few minutes. My guess is that you're somewhat like me that there have been little brown boxes that have showed up with a big smiley face on them from a company. And when you get home, your spouse or kids or whatever goes, what'd you buy? And you say to yourself, or to them, I don't even remember. I don't remember what I bought two days ago. It's like Christmas every two prime days. I get these boxes, what is it? I, have, I can't remember. And you open up and you go, oh, good. I've been wanting one of these. Way to go, two, year old, two days ago, Brent. Nice job. This is perfect. This is exactly what I needed. We can't even remember what we ordered two days ago. Or we go to Columbia Center Mall and we go with friends or family or whatever and our spouse goes, what are you looking for? And you'd be like, I don't know, but I'll know it when I see it. I'm not exactly sure what I want, but once I see it, I'll know exactly that's what I came here for and that's what I need. And I won't be happy until I have that, right? Come on. So, Listen, I understand that you don't feel like you're in a position where money can have mastery over you because I don't have enough of it. Therefore, Brent, next series, let's go. Let's move on to this sort of thing. And Jesus would say, listen, it has very little to do with the quantity of money that you have. In fact, number one, if you're writing notes, it's not typically an input issue. It's an output issue. As much as Jesus would say, listen, input's not as significant as output. Put. Everybody says, oh, if only I had more money and everybody else, everybody else says this, if only you had more self-control. And, and at some point when you become honest with yourself, that becomes even true for you. It's not necessarily what's coming in. I've got to control this cone of spending. More would be nice, but probably self-control would be a little bit better for me. And self-control is difficult. Paul would write a letter to a church in Galatia and he would talk about life by the spirit. He's just describing uh, a life that responds to the spirit. Uh, and uh, Dr. Shrett was here two weeks ago talking about how that idea, that kind of language of walking is something that is not something that's um, solved. Like you don't ever solve this. It's just like this consistent over time. I keep working on this. I keep developing these habits. Just because I say yes now doesn't mean I, I, 
I, I, uh, I can't work on, it won't require me to work on it two weeks later. I'm constantly being more aware as the Spirit's guiding me about what I should be convicted about and what I should not be convicted about. And so he goes on and he begins to describe a fruit, the fruit of a life lived according to God's Spirit. Like his conscience in it's going, that's right, that's wrong, you know this, right? And this, these again are all things you'd like in all of the people that you love that you would love to have more of this in their lives. I would love my friends and family to have more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. This is one of the areas where he says, a life lived under the spirit is a life lived with a little bit more self-control than what you had previously. A life that understands Jesus is teaching in this way that says it's not an input issue, it's also an output issue. I need to operate with a little bit more discipline, a little bit more awareness, a little bit more self-control in this area. Number two, it's not really a quantity issue. As I mentioned, it's a priority issue. It's an issue of devotion. That's why he says you will be devoted to one and hate the other. This drawing, this contrast of emotions with this. Don't write yourself off if you're like, Brent, but you don't know how much I make or how little I make. So therefore, this doesn't really apply to me. Again, everyone, that was the key part, everyone, is in danger of making money, which should be a factor, but not the factor in life. A factor, but not the factor. Everyone is in danger of this thing. You don't have to have money to be obsessed with it. You can be obsessed with something that is just out of reach, just a little bit more. The promise of money is always a little bit more. I'll deliver on all this happiness and all this purpose and all this everything if I just had a little bit more than what I currently have. So Jesus in his teachings offers an alternative, a response, a how do I pull away from this? How do I set myself up for success and not making this an ultimate? How, do, how not to make a factor the factor in this? He does it in this way. Matthew chapter six, verse 33. He, he's, um, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter five uh, is Matthew's way of saying, I heard Jesus as a disciple. I, I heard him constantly and uh, in, in preaching lots of different scenarios. I gathered all of his best and brightest material in some sort of a compilation of all of it. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It starts in Matthew chapter five with all the blessed are, the blessed are, the blessed are, the blessed are, the right? All of the beatitudes that go along with that. And then it moves in. And in chapter six, he begins to talk about consider the lilies of the field. They do not toil. Consider the sparrows who, who not a single one of them falls to the ground without God caring about it. And you, and you spend your life, waste your life worrying about all of the details and all of the things. And am I gonna have enough? And is this gonna be enough? And that constant, that constant state of worry. And in light of the contrast of that, here's his response, but seek first. Here's, here's how you live antithetical to that. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, a lot of times we tend to read righteousness as some sort of a personal holiness, righteousness sort of thing, like picking all, you know, the right things to do and right words to say. And, you know, I'm not smoking, drinking, chewing. I don't go with girls that do that kind of thing. Like that's all, that's all the, that, that's our personal idea of this. And the idea behind this phrase is essentially more than just a personal level of righteousness. This word in the Greek can be translated in two different ways. One being God's justice in the world. And so my challenge to you would be in your own personal readings, every time you see the word righteousness, kind of think about what does it mean to have this idea of justice in place? Because read it with that in mind. But seek first his kingdom and his justice in this world. Seek first his way of doing things and his justice. It's an invitation into a kingdom where you don't come 
first. And the promise, the consequence, what comes after that is simply this. And all of these things, what is these things? He just spent chapters five and six talking about this. These lilies of the field, the care about the sparrow, all of the things that you constantly worry about, all these things will be given to you as well. See, in our method of things, we do those things first, and then we seek God's kingdom with whatever's left over. Let me worry about taking care of my own things, my own stuff, my own little kingdom, and then I'll worry about God's kingdom. We live in this, I'm gonna, you know, live with my, with, I'm, gonna take, I'm gonna take all of my money, I'm gonna do what it takes to live, I'm gonna hopefully have some left over to be able to save, and if, if there's anything left over from that, that's how I'm gonna be generous with, with all my stuff. And he flips this on its lid, and he says, no, 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 but seek first his kingdom, you lead with generosity, then you learn, then you, then you invest in your future self and the saving idea, and then you begin to live on the rest. It's this alternative way of seeing this. And his, his secret is this, if you wanna avoid making a factor, the factor in life, do it in a backwards way, because this sounds backwards to us. For, for, for people who like, have no affiliation with Jesus and no affiliation with religion and they don't care and they're, and they're not accountable to, to Jesus and, and, or whatever, and they're like, I'm doing my own life, this feels like, I, see, I would read the opposite. Take those verses and flip it over. I wanna be a generous person, but I gotta take care of myself first in this way. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the things will be given to you as well. According to Jesus, the success, the way you avoid making the a, a factor, the factor in this, is you develop the keystone habit of generosity. Now, keystone habits, that's a phrase that you've probably heard before. There's a guy named Charles Duhigg that wrote a book called The, uh, the Power of Habit. We did a series on it like four or five years ago or whatever. Um, but uh, the idea behind a keystone habit is it is one sort of habit that unlocks a lot of different things for you that, that don't seem to be related. So for instance, new year shows up, you begin working out. And as a result of working out, you start feeling better. As a result of feeling better, you start eating better. You start going to sleep on time. You start showing up for work a little bit, a bit, little bit earlier. You're a little bit more committed to things. You're a little bit more engaged in the family. It's amazing how one thing is tied to certain other things. You begin to start saving money. You're no longer living like week to week, paycheck to paycheck. And all of a sudden, the stress of like making it all work kind of bleeds out. And you're starting to see like a little bit more of like, I'm more connected with my family. I'm, I'm, more, I'm more this, I'm more that. Like, it's one thing and it shouldn't affect all these other areas, but it does. It unlocks the key for all of these different things. And Jesus would say, okay, kind of how that works, that's what generosity would look like in your life as well. It's the master key to all of life. Now, it's interesting. Um, I don't know if you've ever owned a master key before. This is the key if you're in a workplace that uh, you don't have to have individual keys for individual locks. This is the one, you only need one, right? And this, this is the beauty of it. I worked for my dad for five and a half years uh, at a church over in Pasco, and they had built a brand new expansion with all kinds of different you know, storage rooms and office spaces and upstairs this and you know, uh, media rooms and everything. And they had keys for just about every single fire sprinkler riser room, right? And you're like, uh, I don't need that key, right? But I need, I need the keys for certain things, right? Um, and so I got access, I got about two or three keys on my keychain that were specifically rooms that I had personal access to. Now my dad, he's the big boss man right there. So he gets the master key. He gets to have one key for the entire church. And there was one other guy named Terry who had it as well. He was the operations guy. Everybody else on staff, we were not to be trusted apparently. We, we were given certain ones. Now fine for me, I had three. 
But there was a guy on staff named Roland who, had, who was the worship guy. Uh, he was also in charge of all of the uh, Easter cantatas, uh, the plays, the everything else. He had storage rooms. He had storage all over the building. He, he needed access to all of the fire, uh, fire sprinkler rooms. He needed access to everything. That guy had about 25 keys on his keychain, all dedicated to the church. And about every six months, he would show up at a staff meeting and he'd get it under his skin. Like, listen, my jeans are ripping in the pockets because of my keys. I need a master key, right? And Terry would be like, no, only pastor and, and I get one of those things. And I, and I remember egging him on being like, man, that's kind of bad, man. That's terrible. You have all these, you have like, he has one of those like, like spandex, or not spandex, but the, like the stringy things, you know, you got to wear these and you're like, oh man, that sounds terrible. He's, you're, you're, I bet your hips are out of joint. Your hips are, are you having a bad back problems because of this, right? I'm like egging him on trying to get this thing going because he wants a master key so bad. Why do we want master keys? Because it's so much more simple. It unlocks everything at all at one time. This right here, I know it's a roundabout way to get here, but listen, Jesus is offering a master key towards of helping us avoid the pitfall of making money an ultimate thing. And he's like, everything you think about, flip it on its lid. You seek first his kingdom and then trust that everything else comes as a result of this. And so our encouragement, my encouragement, and the people who were listening in that day, I would imagine walked away from this going, all right, I need to be able to intentionally practice generosity. I need to lead with that. And I need to feel, I want to I want a sense of the internal conversations I'm having and you're having about how we are generous, right? Because that's the big general struggle for us is when I do it, I'm, I, I don't know about you, I can talk myself out of it. I can lead with it and be like, I wanna do this, but uh, you know, what about this? What about this? What about this? I want you and I this week to pay attention to the internal it creates, internal tension it creates to give generously. And not here, okay? Don't find, I don't care. It doesn't even matter. I want you to live this thing out. I want something for you, not from you. And Jesus is the master key to this, is understanding generosity. It unlocks all of the doors that potentially lock you in towards making something an ultimate thing. And everybody is at risk of making money their ultimate pursuit or their ultimate concern. And you want this for you, your wife or husband want this for you. Your kids who occasionally feel like their worth, their value to you is about as much as that really nice car that you drive because you say, if you ever scratch this, I'll kill you. And they're like, I think he might be telling me the truth. I'm not how, sure how this works. Don't touch it or else whatever. And they're like, I, 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 kind, of, I kind of agree. Um, listen. I, I want to live a life where I see money as a means and I'm doing everything within my part to make sure it's a factor, but not the factor in what I do. And Jesus, if I listened to his teaching and I'm trying to follow in his footsteps, would say, well, the key to that, the master key to all of that is leading with generosity. And the immediate reaction is, yeah, but I mean, that's really good for the people who make X amount of dollars, but like, look at where I'm at. And he would say, listen, it doesn't require money to be obsessed with money. You cannot have it and wish you did and do things, really make really dumb decisions based on that. It has nothing to do with the quantity of it. It all has, has everything to do with the priority of it and the order in which you prioritize it. So we, if we wanna do this right, 
We lead. We lead with generosity. We see it as a tool. We lead with this. We seek his kingdom first and trust that all of these things will be added. All of these things that we worry about and are concerned about will be added over time. So next week, we'll finish this thing off and work through a few more trust issues that we have when it comes to faith and finances, and I hope you'll join us for it. Let's pray. Father, uh, our prayer is that we would not read this verse and be like, that sounds really good, and, um, uh, and not see this idea of seeking first and, and, and block off the area of finance, because that's, uh, that's a typical tendency for us, is to be like, that's really good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it with my feelings and my thoughts and everything else, but, and I'm gonna prioritize Sundays and whatever, and to kind of treat finances as its own unique category. And when we do that, we're opening up the door to make A factor the factor, and uh, we are at risk regardless of kind of where we're at in our career status, our financial statements or whatever, it doesn't even matter. Uh, we don't want to live like that. We've seen people who live like that and it blows our mind and, and we, we, we occasionally will, will, will see family situations deteriorate because some of the death in the family and all of a sudden money's involved and it causes people to do crazy, stupid things and, and weird stuff to come out. We know, we've seen that money causes people to do crazy, dumb things. We want to think ahead, protect ourselves from this, and live in the kind of life that you tell us to live, which is seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and your justice and trust that all of these things will be added. And all of the things that we worry about will eventually work themselves out. Help us. Give us the wisdom to know what to do with this personally. Help us corporately as a church to do this as well. This is not just a personal matter. We, we, I know that there are so many stinking barriers about people and their perceptions about church and money. I, I pray that you would continue to guide our leadership as we operate with transparency and honesty and help us to know what to do with what we've heard, to take Jesus seriously and to act on it in your name, amen.